That is the voice of singer-songwriter Kim Zombic. I had a chance to sit down with her to talk about her creative process and artistic journey this past spring, revealing some of her inspirations and influences in her creative and daily life, sharing stories and discussing her various mentors, experiences, and projects she has been involved in past, present, and future. Enjoy this interview with a creative who's truly living a life out loud, with a wisdom and desire to share and express openly what is on her mind and in her heart. So today we're with Kim Zombic, and we're going to have a, a brief interview with her and her creative story and process. So I introduce you to Kim. Hello, Kim. Hello. Hi. So we're going to start at the very beginning of things, and we're going to start where, where were you born? I was born in Boston, mm -hmm. in Massachusetts, in 1966. It was a very good year. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how long did you stay in Boston? Uh, I was in Boston until I was 19. And then I went to UMass Amherst, which is about two hours west. And then I lived in Amherst, Northampton for the next 20 years, more or less, uh, with a two-year stint in New York City. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I came to the music, how did that start? How did you get into, um, what was the initial inspiration for um, getting into music, I guess? Yeah, I guess, you know, growing up, you know, my, my father was a musician, and so there was always, and he was a percussionist. So there, you know, a lot of times, actually when my mom was away, this was like some private time that we had when my mom was out food dropping or whatever she was doing. Like he would pull out his congas and he would play, put on music and he'd play. And I just would dance, like dance, hop on the bed and dance, just like dance. And so I could say that there was a, a general appreciation for music. And then um, I guess when, the, when I saw some Barbara Streisand movie that I was smitten in a way that you're just like, like that, you, that I, I can't even like put words to it. I was like, I was just so like, I want to do that. I want to do that. And the first time probably when I was, I think I was eight, and then later when I was about nine, I saw a star is born, and I was, I was like, I'm doing that, whatever that is. At the same time, you know, later on when I went to college and all that stuff, because I also did visual arts and I came to college and I was going to be a fine arts major and illustrate children's books. That's what I really wanted to do. But music, the bigger, the bigger, yeah, the bigger wave became the music, and then I've just been riding that ah. wave, more or less. Was there a song that Barbara Streisand that like? Kind of, you're just like, yeah, 
Is there a certain one that kind of is like one when, or when I was eight? It was the no. I think part of it was just also like the movie. So the, when I was eight, it, I saw it on TV. It was on a clear day. You can see forever. And just the whole thing, whatever she was doing, there's something also about her and her voice that was just like made some sort of a deep visceral sense to me, you know. And then probably a year later, *Star Is Born* came out, and I saw that. And I remember, I, it's, it's funny because some, some memories are just so visceral, eh? You know, some of them are just like, some are much more mem um, like visual things, but I so remember viscerally, you know, I, I saw the film, and the days later, I can, can still sense this sense of kind of being lost in some cloud and going. There wasn't really a playground in my neighborhood, but there'd been some new construction, and there were like lots of cedar chips everywhere around these cedar posts, I'm not quite sure, but they were designs. And I remember standing with my arm on the cedar post, realizing that I was tall enough to put my arm on the cedar post, but I was standing there desperately trying to remember the words to any of the songs from that movie. And just really going, ageless and ever, ever green, or whatever, like, you know, and then at that point, then that's like that song in particular was big on the radio because the movie had come out, it was a hit, and that's when I was like, "Oh my god, that's cool." Mm. That was it. Cool. Barbara Streisand started something musical mm -hmm. inside you, mm. but um, what started the jazz? Like, I know that uh, kind of uh, you didn't end up seeing like you know more Barbara Streisand. Later, yeah, later it was, yeah. it was it dissolved. Yeah. Well, can I tell you something interesting, though? Is that the real answer to your question? But I remember, maybe like three years ago, I had a gig. And after the gig, somebody from McGill said she was an engineering, she was an engineer, uh, music, she was in music engineering program and she needed to record a demo to, you know, whatever, complete her studies. So she asked me, you know, would I with my piano player at the time, like come to the studio and record a demo, and then she would give us the demo, that would be what we'd get out of it, and she could record somebody and get her graduate and get out of here. And so, like, wildly, she asked me to sing Evergreen. Like, like what are the chances? And the thing that was so, like, you know, my ego was so like, oh, really? Oh, really? But she's like, she said to me, when I was singing, she's like, she's like, it's so funny. I hear so much of Barbara Streisand and how you sing. And I was like, you do? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Uh, it was great, be. you know, because most people hear Billie Holiday or they hear, oh yeah, you know, other things. Mm. I mean, I like at this point to think that people just hear me, but right. Sometimes, you know, influences wiggle on too. That's what they do. Of course, you know, I don't live in a vacuum. Yeah, you know, those are what in inspirations and influence. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what they are. Yeah, that's what they are. Um, so yeah, tell us how that led to kind of jazz. It's a, it's a, probably a bit of a story there. Yeah, no, it was, it was my mom actually. I think my mom was probably pretty burned out on Barbara Streisand and hearing it come from my room and hearing me singing it. And I was probably like, I think I was a junior in high school, and uh, struggling to do classwork and impressed that there was like this one night that I actually was fairly focused on my homework and my mother knocks on the bedroom door she's like hey there's this movie on TV I'd love for you to see it I think you'd really like it and I was like mom 
is let me off the hook from the whole Okay. So I go and it's, uh, is that movie, um, Lady Sings the Blues, and where um, Diana Ross uh, portrays Billie Holiday. And it was, and literally, so we, I watched that movie and I was like, wow. And I, it's very funny because within a couple of weeks, you know, me and my mom were big thrift store, thrift store people. Within a couple of weeks, what do I find? At that age, I was already, you know, it was record, it was record time, you buy records. And I found like the, the soundtrack record to the whole movie. So immediately I started learning those songs. Lady sings the blues, she got a bed. You know, and then later, you know, I got the real Billie Holiday album, and then I was like, oh, Barbara Streisand, I love you, but this shit hooks into my soul, I have to say. You know? Yeah. So that's how it's. And did you feel at that time it was hooking into your, like you say, into your soul? Like, as in, yeah, you were young, maybe, right? Yeah, but part of it, you know, it's like, uh, like a lot of people, right? You know, high school times and all that stuff was so not easy, and I was, you know, fairly miserable. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, woo, the time for blues. It's just the time for some of that stuff, exactly, you know. And so, and there was something that, uh, you know, in Billie Holiday's singing, you know, I think most people experience where you're just like, that woman knows what I'm talking about. She just knows what I'm talking about. Interestingly, you know, it's like you listen to somebody like Ella Fitzgerald, and I love Ella Fitzgerald, but when she sings something sad, I feel like, I'm sorry, I don't believe you. I, I, I'm sorry, I just don't believe you. You're like, your voice is just too bright and optimistic. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, great though. <laughs> you know, it's a little like this. And uh, yeah, just on that, that kind of topic, um, mm. of all the kind of jazz singers or the blues singers, um, is there one that kind of like followed you till now? Like that kind of has touched your soul? Like, uh, it, for example, like maybe Nina Simone or something, or like for me just to uh, talk about it, it's Leonard Cohen. I, I, mm. I arrived at Leonard Cohen when I was younger and he followed me through my life, but it was, you know, it was yeah, like different yeah. albums and in different times. So is there a yeah. someone yeah. that you think you could? I would have to say for a lot of that. Still about Billy? It was Billy for a long time. What changed it? What changed it? It shifted a little bit, probably. You got happy for them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Billy. I'm no longer depressed. Our meeting point is gone. No, it was like, so I was, um, I auditioned for the, I had this long, long story, extremely short, I auditioned for, I was invited to audition for this, this play, and in the play I got to portray Billie Holiday, which was just phenomenal, and somehow, you know, being in this play where, you know, I got to bring her to life, bring my own blues to life through her her, her mo like these monologues and these songs, like it kind of like, it took something that was like, you know, here's Billie Holiday, here's myself, and we're close, and it kind of just did this for like, you know, there was a bit of a fusion, uh, you know, for a little bit, and somehow in doing that, once the play was over, I could kind of like soften up, and it felt like okay, I had other, other artists had more you know, can let them in, let them move around a little bit differently. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. You completely. know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that play was? It was called uh, 
Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. And I think this, you know, as I talk sometimes, like, God, my life has had these really interesting coincidences. Because I remember, you know, I remember the summer of 86. Summer of 86 at that point. I was really into Billie Holiday. And it was the first time I took mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Just to say that. And I was hanging out, uh, swimming with friends. It's a beautiful place outdoors. And I was kind of up by myself because I was just very in this deep headspace. And I just was having this whole thing with Billie Holiday in my mind. And I was just like, I probably had some thoughts, I think, that I was like, am I her reincarnating? Is there something like, you know, that I need to express that's her story, that's my story, that's her story, that's my story? And probably within that same amount of time, I, I think I was starting to change my major, so I was not fine arts, I was moving towards theater, and I thought, oh man, I would love to be in a play portraying Billie Holiday. And I'd had the thought that actually I, I would maybe even write this play. And isn't it just so interesting that like, you know, 17 years later, I'm standing in the coffee shop where I work, you know, and this woman comes up to me, she's like, you know, I've seen you sing and stuff, and there's auditions for this play. I was like, you damn skippy! <laughs> you know? That was great. Yes. You know, really like... Full circle. Of, yeah, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of like, you know, you know, there's a lot of interesting full circle things that have come. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, yeah. That's cool. And that you kind of put it out there a long time ago. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, right. Meant to be a little fate there. Yeah. Do you believe in reincarnation? I do. I do. I mean, you know, I do you think that was a... Do specifics, huh? Like, not not to get dive into this, but I have dove into this with a few other interviewers, uh, interviews. Um, but um, yeah, just on those terms, you know. I mean, you're in, um, you like you're a yogic person. Yeah. And um, you just got back from India. Yeah. So uh, I mean, it's it's not a stretch that maybe you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel you know, it's like I do believe in reincarnation, but I also feel like I believe in a lot of things not necessarily as something like a belief that I hold on to in this way like well I really believe da 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 but more that life and the mystery of life and the mystery of spirit is so freaking vast (laughs) (laughs) you know so like anything is possible kind of hold it in that space mm-hmm. you know what I mean and I feel like yeah there are people who you know I feel like oh they're clearly reincarnated you know you you can have that sense that I've been here before I've met this person before mm. you know but I also fully believe you know there's so many dimensions to beingness it's not just here and now on this cognitive level there's all kinds of planes and mm-hmm. planes and trains and automobiles you know whatever yeah, yeah. you know you read signs a lot when something happens, you're, you know, you're intuitively in touch with, like, so. recognizing that this is, you know. Yeah, you're like, yeah, okay, so I got some fate with this person, or, like, well, isn't that interesting, here this comes around again, or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily always assign it a major importance as much as it's like, well, that's cool. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a, it's not that I won't, um, Buy a lotto ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start scratching, man. Just start scratching. <laughs> <laughs> just, start scratching. <laughs> just 
It's like they say in the New York Lotto, the New York Lotto, like, hey, never know. You never know. So yeah, so you left um, the art, fine arts, and you started to pursue pursue the um, yeah, the music singing. industry. What do you think is one of uh, besides, I guess, the um, the Billie Holiday uh, tribute or the uh, play? Mm. Mm, is there another highlight you could talk about to yeah. your music? In music, the jazz. Then Abby Lincoln made Montreal? a huge impact on me. Because she's also a jazz singer and probably also like carrying her own footsteps after Billie Holiday. But then, you know, she writes and has written, and she's dead now, but really compelling original jazz work. You know, they like really, you know, and on that level, kind of as somebody who's, you know, wanted to like, okay, I sing, I interpret songs. That's fine, that's cool. But okay, there's something else that wants to be expressed. Like, there's something of my own story that wants to be expressed or my own view, perspective, whatever, you know, and in that way it's been, been um, more Abby Lincoln. Mm. But in terms of, uh, like, performing, yeah. um, would you say one of the highlights could be um, performing the jazz, the, the Montreal Jazz Fest? Ah, like this, oh, that was awesome, but I tell you, something that was even somehow more awesome than that, mm. that was like, because that was, that was great, like that, it was like the one sunny night of the whole, you know, week or something, I got, I got, uh, for a brief time, five or six years or something, you know, I was touring in Japan, you know, I would tour, and I started out, uh, we would tour the play, the Billy Holiday play, and what was great about the play is that, because the set was a bar, we could just set up and do it as a regular gig, you know, so that was cool, and that went around for a while. And one thing led to another. I got an album deal, I cut a few records there. And um, Joe Hasechi, who is the conductor of the, the Japan New World Orchestra, and he's also, I think, the, the person who composed the music for very popular Japanimation films that I cannot remember the name of right now. Anyways, he heard my voice on the radio in Japan, and he contacted my manager, and I went on tour with a 90-piece orchestra. That stuff, that was mind-blowing. That was crazy time. That was like, oh my god. You know, the walking out into like a hall of 2,000 people, walking past the piano, walking past like the 15 violins or whatever, you know, and like, you know, to then stand in front of the stage, you know, there's like, there's a conductor, this grand piano, like bigger than two Cadillacs, you know, and this orchestra behind me, and such the sense of like, yep, I'm good. Right here. You know, like just like wow. literally like the vibrations coming off the stage, like ah. mm. it was great. That that part was pretty That's really phenomenal. Cool. That's definitely a memory to hold mm -hmm. quite dear, you know. Is it recorded? We made a record, but none of the live stuff was recorded. At least not that I know of. Mm. But we made a record and uh cool. yeah, yeah. What about your own stuff? Your own um have you been writing and uh, mm. where is that? Where? How did? Did when did that start and what are you yeah. up to now? Mm. 
For about a year in 2000, I had a band that we made, we wrote original stuff. We have an album of just that, which is really exciting. But then when I moved here, you know, it was more jazz standards, not so standards. And it's only in the last year, year and a half, that I'm like, okay, actually, there's something that's cool, interpreting, interpreting other stuff, other, other people's music. But yeah, okay, it's time, like my own, it's time to mine my own life experience, my own heart for stuff that I really wanted to say as well, you know, and so that's a, a relatively new, new process for me. And I don't, um, for the most part, I do that with my bandmate, uh, Nick Kaloya, we have a group called Silver Vest, and so it's just stand-up bass and voice, which I find really fulfilling. You know, sometimes when I listen to it, I can imagine other people not really getting it because, you know, it's like, well, where's the drums, where's the piano, where's the chordal information, <laughs> you know? And it's like, no, it's like these interweaving of these two voices. You know, his voice, my voice, responding, moving around. And uh, I find it leaves me a lot of room also mm -hmm. to create melodies, you know, without being so guided by, well, the, you know, the piano chord is this. So I guess I gotta go here. It's like, no, I can do whatever I like. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, that part's been really fulfilling and fun. Mm -hmm. To go, wow, wow, what wants to come out? You know? Mm -hmm. And where is, like, where are some of your inspirations uh, for your singer, singing, uh, your songwriting coming from? I, would, I feel like a lot of it actually comes from poetry. You know, not... Um, I feel it's funny as I sit here I feel like I haven't um, been listening to a lot of music in the last little bit is that true yeah I feel like I haven't really been listening to a lot of other people's music did you just ask your ego <laughs> yeah. ego what do you have to say no because they suck no no just kidding that's what the ego wants to believe right the um you know, so I'm like, yeah, I haven't listened to a lot of other people's music, you know, occasionally here and there, right? You're like hanging out on YouTube and you're like, oh, well, look at that, Cheryl, Charlotte Day Wilson, is that her name? I listen to her, I'm like, that's great. Or this person, that person. You know, but um, mostly it's like I read poetry. I'm big into, if I, I'm big into reading a, um, Hafiz poetry when I feel like, I don't know what to write about or... I feel a little slumpish. You know, I pick up a book of poetry and it's usually room your office and I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, no ready. So that kind of could describe kind of your, your creative process to writing maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Is there anything else you would add to your creative process to writing? Is there a... Do you tend to meditate or? Mm. I don't. A little bit. I've started, like, maybe, you know, in the last couple of months since I came back from India, a little bit more prone to, like, sitting meditation in the sense of, like, sitting silent meditation, um, which can have a really nice kind of, like, okay, like, just, like, reset. Press the reset button. But... 
um, because I was in in India, kind of beginning this training for uh, classical Indian singing. There's a pra couple of practices that we that you do in that, and I find them a lot more. They're extremely stabilizing for me, and grounding, and they also have the quality of hitting some sort of reset button, but in a way that's very vivifying, so I'm like, yeah, making music, that's what I do. So I get to do the thing that I do, but in this very kind of, mm. kind of a way, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's funny, I don't feel like I'm totally answering your question, but I feel like maybe it's also too like this. This is also. I, mean, I think I'm at this point too. Where it's like okay, this is 51. I'm 51 now, and like just stuff wants to come out. Like I don't. There's not. I don't feel like I'm. I'm not needing a lot of inspiration right now because stuff is just like, dude. We've been waiting for you to look to us for a long time. We are so ready. Let's go. You know, it's, I'm in that phase a little bit. So there's really not really a blockage or any barriers or any um, yeah diffuser. Um, not the yeah. diffuser. You know, when we're younger, we're just like, oh, make sure we don't put it out like this or express ourselves in a certain yeah, way. Now yeah, it's yeah. just like, express. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, more, it's way more like that. Mm -hmm. I am Jennifer Cluche, and this is Process Talks. You have been listening to an interview recorded in the private home studio of Kim Zombic in March of 2018. Kim is a multifaceted and talented woman splitting her time between being a creative as a singer-songwriter to living and teaching a life of well-being through yoga, meditation, and sound healing. Continue to listen as she opens up about her upcoming travels back to India to continue her studies in classical Indian singing. As well, we will discuss all her projects past, present, and future, the creative process, and her mantras and advice to living and sustaining a creative life. Go ahead. Yeah. We're back with Kim. <laughs> with her? Tempura. Which is actually definitely uh, on the lower range of quality. I bought this one, you know. Um, when you're sitting right next to it, it's like full of radiant sound, but it might not be very radiant uh, where you are. Sounds amazing. But what's cool is that, you know the idea is that uh, the strings, the harmonics created by the strings, the plucking of the strings, are harmonics that are contained in your human voice. And so we use the tempo to kind of uh, sometimes as a guide to kind of go, oh yeah, like how can I do that? But then also there's something that happens. This when I sing, it almost feels like the tempo sounds are coming out of my mouth with my voice, which is fun sound healing
Mostly I just sing cool. uh, one note uh, and kind of like try to expand within that one note and I find it really incredibly healing. It's pretty wild, mm. you know? It sounds great and healing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. So there's a, the morning, there's a morning practice and the morning practice is called Karaj. So you're playing and uh, let's see, the two middle notes are your, your basic, your starting point. And then basically from there you keep going down and down and down and down till you get to your lowest note. You know, something that you can keep low uh, with integrity so it doesn't go, mm -hmm. you know, to turn into the bottom of the basket. And um, in doing that, it's amazing how, like what you can feel in your energy body in the sense of this whole, you know, the, the clearing of, of the lowest chakra and things like this it's it's pretty it's pretty subtle work it's not like oh yeah you feel it right away you know but with, a, with time and with attention you know sound and it really just penetrates everything and it's cool to have a practice where okay that's what I'm doing it's, it's amazing about uh, why you went to India? I went to India um, because I wanted to start practicing um, this style of Indian singing called Drupad. Mm -hmm. And Drupad music is a northern style where the emphasis is actually um, is on a meditative quality of, of music, but uh, on improvisation. So I thought this is going to help me be a better jazz singer. Last year, last May, I had taken a five-day workshop with uh, the Gundetra brothers, and they're kind of like the main, or some of the main teachers of this particular tradition. And I was blown away by their attention to the voice. Like, I mean, I've done physical yoga, I've done asana for a really long time, and I love a Yangar method where all these particular refinements, and so I understand about lifting the inner arch because you're moving the ankle to the outer knee, and you know, all that stuff. And I've never had anybody talk about using the voice in that way and could line up these particulars about, okay, this, you want your upper trachea to do this, the lower tongue to do that, this bottom part to feel like this, you want to feel this, but you know, like just all these meticulous details. And I was like, oh, yes, finally, that should make sense to me. Or I want to try it anyway. Mm -hmm. And what was cool is that, you know, the way these ragas are and, and the Drupad style, you know, you spend the first... My teachers said, you know, they can improvise up for, up for three, for up to three hours before they actually get to, you know, the composition of the raga. I'm like, that's like every jazz person's dream to know that they can kind of improvise and be that fresh and that alive with the moment at hand, you know, for three hours. Like, yeah, I'm gonna do that. That sounds mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. You know, and if along the way I have these incredible transformative, like, simple but profound meditative experiences, I'm all in. Yeah, yeah I'll do that. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So was that um, was that the biggest thing that you um, learned in India, or was there other things that you were there for? No, that was pretty much that was it. I went uh, for five weeks, and then I was going to meet a friend and travel for two uh, two three weeks, and then come back more or less. And no, we were going to travel actually for months together, and I met her, and we traveled, and. Uh, and I kept talking about the school and what I'd learned. And she was really, and I was practicing as much as I could. I'd gotten to a point where I was practicing four and a half hours a day in between all these other things. And and then we were traveling together, and I just was like, I, I miss that. Like, ah, you know, to go from practicing four and a half hours a day to suddenly, like, just hanging out, like, drinking chai, looking around. That was cool for about three days, and then I was like, and so she's like, you know, it sounds really interesting. I'd love to check it out. And so we went back. And she came. She's like, yeah. She trusted me enough with what I was saying. She's like, I'd like to check it out. And so she, she did it also a week. And then I stayed for another week. And then I came back uh, here. Yeah. What, um, what projects are you working on now? Um, well, those, those two brothers are coming back. The Gendatri brothers are coming back. And uh, I'm hoping to take that week-long workshop with them. So, which is to say, some project that I'm always working on is trying to learn and master this raga that they've given me. You know, baby steps up the freaking mountain, but there you go. And then, uh, so I've got this project uh, with Nick Kaloya. Our band is called Silver Vest, and we're working on this project called uh, The Stories I Heard. And that's... Um, kind of an epic, epic project, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's, I got a grant for that so that there's, and there's nothing, like, the, oh, I'm so grateful to have um, a little bit of money in the pocket so that I could teach, like, just three, four classes less a week so that I actually have time to create that's not between the hours of, like, you know, 10 p.m. and 1 in the morning, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, okay, look, I can kind of allow this process. Mm-hmm. You know, because part of my objective in this process is, um, so I've got all these journals, there's some here, but I actually have five boxes of journals, mm-hmm. you know, like this, and uh, I want to read them all and mine them for uh, material, mm. you know, and, and then and then go from there. So Can it's a you... Big deal. Um, so the stories you heard are from these journals, but also are they from um, there was the things m- I actually heard too. Mm. The journals kind of remind me of the the things that I don't remember that I've heard, or put them also in a context. Like it's mm. one thing what I'm finding that's kind of interesting. You know, I read uh, like some of these journals are from 1981, and what's cool from this perspective is okay I know I might have been told blah 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 in 1981 but I see how it is that I related to it which is sometimes I didn't relate to it at all and it shows up in the journal that I wrote when I was 21 where I'm finally able to digest well blah 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 said this and like now you know however many years later I kind of go wow you know but in 1981 or 1985 it's just scrambling, like just scrambling to deal, you know, and, and it's, so that's the part that becomes interesting. It's just like, how is it that I digested these little, like, 
you know, these nuts and bolts that came flying off the machine. Like, well, I thought the machine was like this. No, it's not actually, you know. And that part's becoming really interesting. And so sometimes I'm writing about actually what I've been told, and sometimes the writing is about the process of hearing it and digesting it over time. That's, uh, that's something else. I'm so glad to hear you talk about this um, digesting because I feel like as we get older it's what we are doing finally like we're like oh that's my life now how about I start to digest it a bit of what just occurred yeah 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 and uh, I actually spoke to another artist about this of like having an exhibition and then Mm -hmm. being in the exhibition room and going well that's there's my life yeah and because uh, yeah, we go through these stories or this yeah. this this lifetime, we we forget to actually step back and be like, well, let's let's take a look at that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I think another part of too, you know, it's like the the digestion of it, the metabolizing of you know all of the stories, all of the events, all of the stuff that brought you to this moment. And, and maybe this is something that happens, you know, when you turn 50 or, or you, you know, maybe different people have a different age, I have no idea. But I know for myself, like this kind of turning 50 thing kind of had this effect of feeling like, okay, it, it slowly crystallizing or making very clear, like, okay, I have a lot of stories that have ruled my life. I have a lot of beliefs that have ruled my life. And if I'm 50, and I know I'm not going to live till 100, most likely, I mean, you never really know, but I mean, I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning, yeah? And so, what are things that I can let go of creatively, actually, so that I can kind of have more of a tabula rasa feeling of like, okay, cool, now I'm 50, now, like, what do I want to do? Like, some of that stuff a lot of it, most of it, all of it maybe, you know, let it go and be like, okay, I'm so free right now. Like what, where, now, now, you know, I'm not just this pile of stories. And so some of this, this writing and these, this project in a way is also to honor that stuff. Like that's all the stuff that brought me here. As horrible as some of it is, that is the stuff that brought me here. And so long as I feel relatively at peace with myself, you know, I can find gratitude in that. Go, wow, that shit was shitty, but wow, look, I'm here. That happened, and that's part of what brought me here. That's cool. We're back here with Kim, and we're going to talk about... The power trio? No, no not yet. Place. Okay, yeah. I don't know actually where he lies in the, uh, you know, all that, but yeah. uh, we're going to talk about um, what's that, what happened two years ago. The power meeting. Yeah. Which is how I met the power Okay, by the way. there you go. Yeah? Okay. Oh, good. So, uh, he, oh, check it out. So, um, yeah, uh, two summers ago, uh, two years ago, I met my real father, my birth father, for the first time. And that was pretty, uh, pretty amazing, pretty phenomenal. It was like uh, somebody that we both knew on Facebook connected us. And uh, like, who knew? At any rate, uh, we met, as it turns out, he's a singer. He's been singing his whole life. You know, he was singing the night I was born. Like, I, you know, 
probably bathed in his voice for the nine months I was in there, you know. And and what was great is eventually I went to, uh, he bought me a ticket to go visit him. He lives outside of L.A. in Palm Springs. And I arrived on a Thursday. And within 24 hours we had a gig together, we sang. It was great. How was that moment for you? Oh, my God. It was great. It was like... So sweet and so natural and so crazy. Like, here's this thing that I've been doing my whole life with this person who's been doing it his whole life. And that's my dad. That's my dad. Like, that's my dad. That's my dad. I'm a dad. And we're singing together. This is crazy talk. And anyway, so one of the things that he did, he had given me... um, Because he's had, you know, a great long career. And he, he wrote a bit of an autobiography, which was amazing to just get all this information about a family I'd never known. Like, I had brothers, I had a sister, I, you know, he's the last of 11 children born to a sharecropping mom in Mississippi, and that's the power trio. That is my grandma. Those are her sisters. And that woman, at 50, had 11 children and was sharecropping in Mississippi. And so all these stories, you know, it was like a biracial person, you know, at different points I've identified it more with my white family or my, less with my black family at different points, you know. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, like so many of us, you know, read these stories of, you know, black American history, like sharecropping. And, you know, I, I think, okay, well, I don't know anybody like that, you know, or who has that in their direct family. And it's like, oh no, I, I do actually, you know. And so uh, Melvina Thompson and her sisters and their father was pure Cherokee Indian. So as it turns out, I've got some Cherokee in there too. Go freaking figure. story. Yeah, so it's just amazing how You know, meeting my father fleshed out something that I didn't realize wasn't fleshed out. You know, it's like, you know, it's like I, I, after meeting him, it's kind of like, like literally I felt like I had a leg that suddenly appeared, but I didn't realize I had been walking with a phantom leg. You know, I just thought, well, walking is hard. You know, and all of a sudden there's this other leg there and it's like, Oh, you know, a sense of um, somehow being on the map or belonging in a way that I didn't realize I had been looking for so profoundly. And it's not like we became incredibly tight and we talked to each other all the time. There was something just alone in the meeting. It was like, oh, that's also what brought me here. Mm -hmm. Oh. Wow, incredible. Yeah. Is there a certain like mantra or like a motto or something that you've collected over the years that are words that you've um, found that kind of you live by? Yeah. So, like on one level, so many. Like I, I got like on my little altar over there. I've got like those little posted things. Kind of change all the time. Yeah, but I think um, you know something that has been probably underneath that, like that's more discursive level, but something that's even more heart level is uh, this quote by um, 
James Baldwin, that an African dance teacher gave me, what, 1987 or something like this? And I've had this hanging up in every place I've ever lived. And it says here, it says, but what advice can you possibly give? Best advice I ever got was an old friend of mine, a black friend, who said, you have to go the way your blood beats. If you don't live the only life you have, you won't live some other life. You won't live any life at all. And that's the only advice you can give anybody. And it's not even advice, it's an observation. I love that. I love that, love that, love that. And I feel like the longer I live with it, the more kind of deep it becomes and the more I realize like how true, how true that is. You know, we can, like we were just saying, it's like we can kind of live our lives kind of always you know, trying to make something happen that isn't from our true nature, like get a real job or be nice or these kinds of things. And there's nothing wrong with being kind and all that jazz, you know, being pragmatic if there's a need for that. But sometimes what ends up happening is we don't live the life we've been given. We we're living some idea of a something. We're so perpetually chasing after a concept that we miss the whole thing. And then we're like, damn, look at that. We're going to die now. I'll waste a lot of time. I'll waste a lot of time. That's too bad. <laughs> like, I don't want to be that lady. I don't want to be that lady. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, okay. I'm gonna live the life I've been given. You know. Must be nice that to to acknowledge that and that you are doing that. Um, it's yeah. got to be, uh, you know, that you haven't been wasting your life. Yeah. I mean, at different points, certainly, I felt like I have been, but. Right at the moment, right now, this past year, I feel like, okay, you know, like I said, maybe it was like the 2050 thing. I was yeah. like, okay, I'm going to do that now. Enough, mm-hmm. enough with uh, things don't, that don't feel maybe. quite right. Yeah. Um, yeah, enough with the maybe. Maybe, yeah. well, maybe. Maybe now. Um, where, do, where do you see yourself headed with your, uh, mm-hmm. with your music? Well, for the stories I heard project, you know, some of my visions include, you know, that I um, write a, a body of pieces. You know, they're all autobiographical. And right now I'm just going to read through and kind of write out what it, like popcorn out what immediately just comes to me. And then I think with time, I might kind of write pieces from different segments of my life and because I'm still so inspired by that Billie Holiday play that I was in, it may be that one of my fantasies is that I can then take these pieces and then write a, basically a one-woman show around these pieces, you know, and then present that. Kim Zombic. You know, right, it won't, it would, but it, my idea, like, right, of course, it would be autobiographical, right? Mm. But that it's, um, that there's enough universality and what I write that's so, like with Billie Holiday, right? You're just like, oh my God, I know what you mean. I, I, hear I you. know what you mean, that's fucking great, you know? Nice. Which is, uh, you know, which is like an interesting thing, like, you know, the, the way art can sometimes feel narcissistic. It's just me and my journals writing about my life, you know what I mean? But the other part's like, no, 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 but I'm not the only one, eh? I'm not the only one who feels this. Hmm. I might be the one right now who's writing about it processing it in this way, singing it, and in that way I can be a valve, you know, mm. valve for these women, 
mm. you know, a vow for the, the young girl I saw in India who had had acid poured on her face and she just sat there and she had nothing to say. She couldn't say anything anymore. You know, it's like on that level, you know, that's what I want to use my art for, for the telling of some of these stories, you know. Mm-hmm. I have one last question. What would you, if you were to run into a young artist who wanted to do what you were, are doing or what you did, what mm. would you tell them if you, you could say something to them and they were just like, kind of in, in a mentor way, mm. what would be your biggest advice? Mm. From a, a Something along that line, mm. of course, yeah. But at the same time, like as a younger person, it's like often the experience of life is that there are so many doors that are open, right? And I feel right now I would say like walk through as many of them as possible. Like just to see. Like you gotta see. Like you have to kind of wiggle around you gotta like you have to do the wiggling around because that wiggling around is part of then how you kinda go, okay, that's not me. That's kind of me. This is totally me, you know. And and from there, like that's part of the refinement process. Like it's like, it's kind of like what I was saying the other night. It's like you know, with yoga asanas, like there's bigger, grosser movements of vibration, you know. And then over time, things become refined. Things become refined. Things become refined. And all of a sudden, like the yoga that interests me is just the vibration right here, you know. And it's kind of like that. It's like youth is one thing, and you have to do that. And you have to like. Oh, have wide range and then the wide range becomes a little bit more narrow and it transforms itself into depth wow yeah wow that was great to talk to you Kim today thanks so much so thank you for the interview yeah thank you you have been listening to a studio interview with Kim Zombick you can find her music, teachings, and all her projects on her website, kimzombic.com. I'm Jennifer Cluche, and this has been Process Talks. Subscribe and follow along today at jenniferclouche.com to watch, read, and listen to more raw and unfiltered interviews with creatives of all genres worldwide from emerging to established on the artistic journey and creative process.